Today's episode is so good. Last week I interviewed my friend Adrian about why it's a good idea to go gluten-free for your family and what that can look like and just how to have a good attitude about it because it's not easy to change your diet when you don't have to. But today, I'm interviewing him again. We went gluten-free around the same time. Me for my daughter, him for his wife. He doesn't have to eat gluten-free. I do uh, for myself and then my daughter. And I think it's just a really good idea to have somebody on the show who does eat gluten sharing what tastes good because I recognize that I haven't eaten gluten in 10 years and my taste buds are probably different. I don't remember what food with gluten tastes like. I don't remember the texture and he does. You guys are in for a treat. Now, Adrian and I have known each other since my freshman year of high school, 1998. So there's a lot of banter and it's just a lot of fun. This was a very fun interview for me and I think you're going to enjoy it and learn a lot. Welcome to the Therapeutic Food Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Mitchell. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, therapeutic diet expert, and founder of The Road to Living Whole. There are many different diets out there. It's hard to know which one is right for you with your chronic illness and autoimmune disease. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you the foundational pieces every single therapeutic diet out there shares, and also how to use the best one for your particular diagnosis. If you've been looking for a meal planning partner, help navigating the complicated healthcare system, and want to feel better quickly, I'm your girl. Grab your kombucha and notebook. Let's dive in. Today, I have an incredibly helpful episode for you. My friend Adrian is joining us again to help me share with you gluten-free swaps that actually taste good. Just because something is gluten-free does not mean that it tastes good. In fact, more often than not, they taste weird. They have like this weird melting texture. They're rock hard. They taste bland. So there's, there's a lot of really, I'm just going to say it, gross stuff out there. And I've been doing this for 10 years. I've gone through and thrown away so many gluten-free alternatives over the years. I refuse to hold on to things that don't taste good. Adrian still eats gluten, but also eats gluten-free at home. I am thrilled to have somebody who still eats gluten sharing what they think tastes good because they remember what it's like and I don't. So you're going to get those two different perspectives today. The five specific categories I wanted to talk about that I feel are the most difficult to replace are pasta, donuts and sweets, bread, wraps, and pizza. Not the healthiest of foods. And, you know, I'm always preaching eating real foods, but they're foods that people, us, we really care about enjoying. And I'm right there with you. I want to enjoy these foods too. Adrian, welcome back to the podcast and doing this episode with me. I feel like people will actually believe me because you are here in this episode with me. Like you actually know the difference between them. Tell those joining us who you are and a little bit of why you eat gluten-free when you don't have to, and then we'll dive into our favorite swaps. Okay. So hi again, I'm Adrian and I eat gluten-free for the same reason men and boys have been doing things for thousands of years. A girl. My wife has celiac and honestly, I felt like it was a kind of a slap in the face to uh, let her eat her way and I ate my way. You know, you're married, which means two becomes one. Her diet is my diet. 
when we ate together. I'm no saint. And I ate like a drunken gorilla at lunch at my office every day. (laughs) I love that. So the gluten-free swaps I want to cover are the ones I feel are the most difficult to find replacements for. There are tons of brands out there, but not all of them are good. And as I said earlier, I think most of them aren't. To be fully transparent, I do not actually eat these foods often. I prefer to get most of my nutrition from real food. I will say that my daughter who has celiac disease likes to be able to fit in and share food experiences with her friends. Uh, So she probably eats them more often than I do. When I eat them, I want them to taste good. I want it to be worth the calories and the blood sugar spike, basically, that I'm oh, going yeah, the sugar. <laughs> I'm going to get from them. Gluten-free foods are like all starch. Like yes. there's yeah. nothing really healthy or nutri- there's no nutrition in them. So it's purely for pleasure. Give us your perspective on gluten-free foods, Adrian. Um, it's kind of like you said, like unfortunately in, in- I hate to say this. I may, I may cost you listeners at my following comments. It's they've taken all the foods that I love, removed the things I love about them. And more often than not just add sugar to try to compensate. Well, this may not taste like bread, but it's sweet. So you're welcome. <laughs> um, uh, like you said, though, like for me, a lot of these swaps were really hard and sometimes I just didn't do it. It was just easier not to find a substitute because there was no adequate substitute. Uh, The other one where I'm really big at is like every dude in his late thirties, we, we either fall into smoking barbecue meats or drinking whiskey. I do both. So like the amount of YouTube food shows that I watch is not healthy, but we would see these videos and I would see these like recipes and things. I would try my damnedest to make substitutes for it. And some of them came out really well. And some of them, no, like you said, it's mushy. It's gross. It doesn't taste right. It doesn't have the starch or the gluten to bind. Like it's a challenge. Yeah. A lot of times, especially the wet recipes tend to fall apart. Yeah. They either fall apart or they have, a, they're kind of hard and they have this weird texture. They, I think gluten-free food is the only thing that at some point can also be hard and soft at the same time to defy physics. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we're kind of going by the seat of our pants here. We're just going to discuss some of our favorite foods and Adrian will either agree with me or disagree with me, which I'm totally okay with. Again, I've been gluten-free for 10 years. So something that I think it's going to taste pretty good. He might be like Marion, no, and that's okay. I think that this dialogue is really important for one, everybody has different taste buds and what you're going to like somebody else won't, but I've been doing this long enough. And I've, like I said, thrown away plenty of food that these are the ones that I think are worth trying. So number one is pasta replacements. There are four brands that I like. Three of them are like spaghetti pasta based. And one of them is more like ramen. Okay. So The first one that I like is a brand called taste of Republic. It's in whole foods. They keep it in a refrigerator section. It's like a, they're probably going to change the labeling now, but it's a light blue container and they have like ravioli and pasta and spiral noodles and all of these things. And I discovered it from a gluten-free restaurant here called Picasso's. And I was like, 
this actually tastes like pasta. Like, what do you use? Do you make it yourself? And they're like, no, it's Taste of Republic. You can get it at Whole Foods. My mom and I went and like cleaned out the section. Brielle had ravioli for the first time in her life and was like, this is what everybody talks about. That's number one. My second brand that is shelf stable. So it's great for, you know, keep it in the pantry and on hand is Jovial. And then I really like the Trader Joe's brand of gluten-free pasta. And I don't eat the corn and amaranth one, so I can't testify to that, but their brown rice one is phenomenal. And then for ramen, I like the Lotus brand. So it's funny because I don't think you and I, for the decades we've known each other, actually discussed food like this before and the brands that we like. Maybe not brands. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not brands. We talk about food a lot. All the time. But we, we found some of the similar brands in different parts of the country, in different parts. You're, you're in Arizona. I'm in Washington, but yes, jovial hands down the best replacement for pasta. Maybe taste of Republic is good. Maybe it's the cocaine they add into it. I don't know. And <laughs> I can't say for sure. I've never tried it. Yes, you did. Did I? Yeah. When you were, when you visited. Okay. See, yeah. I told you to go when you ate there. I did eat there. You're right. Okay. I stand corrected. Um, but did it taste as good as regular? Mm. Was it a good substitute? Sure was. It really was. Uh, I do like the Jolio for, for shelf staple. I really do. Um, Lotus brand for ramen is good, but it has a time limit. Yes. Uh, so it will start to disintegrate if you don't eat your ramen quickly enough. That's true. You only you only cook it for like two or three minutes and then you need to blow on your broth as you're eating it. Correct. Yep. Now, for me, I actually would rather use what are called buckwheat soba noodles. Mm. And uh, it's a Japanese, uh, what ramen is Japanese too. So it is a different flavor. You know, soba and ramen are not the same thing, but soba noodles are awesome cold. I think in last, last week's episode, I discussed cold food I used to make. Soba noodles are dynamite cold. They're dynamite warm. They're intended to be eaten either way. So- Now I'm going to be going and buying some do it because when it goes to gluten-free, so it's coming up to summer and we love pasta salad in my family, right? Like we do all these things and my family uses corn-based noodles because they're good, warm, and they're good cold, but I'm allergic to corn. So I never get to partake, but I will say I have a buckwheat flour pancake recipe. That's phenomenal but it's really bland. So with these noodles, do you find that they're bland or do they take on the flavor of what you're cooking? So that's kind of what I love about these buckwheat soba noodles specifically. And I, I wish I could tell you the brand, but I get them from our international district and I don't read Japanese and there's not an English letter on them. (laughs) Uh, But they come in different flavors, traditional buckwheat, squid ink oil, green tea, sweet potato. Like they add all these other elements to them. My favorite is just traditional buckwheat because like you said, it takes on that flavor of what you make it with. Not a full recipe, but a quick thing. Like I would do the buckwheat noodles. You'd cook them, boil them, run them under cold water. So they're cold. I would then like add shrimp and cucumber and like kind of like a very light meal because it was great. What dressing or what, what herbs or what would you add to it to add flavor? Like a gluten-free soy sauce or 
I would use a little bit of oyster sauce, soy sauce, sesame tamari, oil. Tamari sauce. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just sure. for people, you don't, soy sauce has wheat flour, tamari sauce does not. Just So I actually, so you're right. I didn't use soy sauce. I actually used coconut aminos. Okay. So my apologies. That, and then I would grind some like, or, you know, microplane some ginger and garlic into it green onions and call it a sauce yum but yeah soba noodles definitely the way to go good to know i learned something new today and there's an international market about eight miles from my house that we get our um we make homemade sushi so when i need to go back i'll be sure to pick some up so i will say the one thing i've learned is it's alternatives are not great you know this is like when people say this is pizza i can have which we'll get into pizza they're not great. Soba noodles, they never had gluten to begin with. So they're not an alternative. This is their intended usage, which I feel always, if that's the case, is always a little bit better. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Let's move to donuts and sweets. I feel like this is a big one. I, Brielle and I searched for, I don't know, six years to find a donut that actually tasted good. We have gluten-free bakeries here and the donuts are just really dry cake. Like, and they're really dense. They're not that light, fluffy donut that they all have that chickpea feel to them. Yes. Yes. They all do. And I don't understand why with all the millions of flowers that we have. So one day I'm at Sprouts and I see gluten-free donuts and I'm like, huh, worth a try They're you know, six bucks for like eight little tiny ones, but whatever. That's what, this is what I do. And they were absolutely amazing. Brielle absolutely loved them. She asks for them for special occasions, like her birthday. It's all about the donuts and I'll let her eat the entire container (laughs) because that's what moms do. And it's her birthday and she's so excited. And so they're either it's called freedom gluten-free and they're mini donuts. They're not big ones. And I think the mini, when it comes to gluten-free, the smaller, the better. They hold up better. They're less likely to fall apart. Cause if you think about the big donuts, like gluten-free flour, like gluten, it's really hard to make it stick together. Yeah. It doesn't have the glue yeah. that gluten is. So when it comes to gluten-free, I will say the trick that I found even in my own baking is the smaller, the better. Other sweets that I like, there's this brand called flax for life and they have these uh, coconut chocolate muffins that are absolutely phenomenal. Now I don't know. Again, I haven't eaten a gluten one in years, but they like, they like, they do that thing where it's like, they don't have that weird chalky aftertaste. They taste amazing. I love the coconut on them. They have one without coconut, but I like the ones with coconut better. I like the flavor and the texture better. And I think it might be like the fat that the coconut brings. And then Lucy's gluten-free brownies are pretty darn good. I like my brownies. I like when I would bake them, I'd always eat the middle. I don't like the edges, which I know like some people are like all about the edges. You're giving me a look. I know. I love the gooey center of brownies. And that's what those remind me of. It's there's like no hard edges. Don't look at me like that. I don't. Can we do another episode where we discuss how wrong your brownie beliefs are? <laughs> sure, why not? Thank you. <laughs> All right. And then for cupcakes, this is what I do for birthday parties. That like we're going to a friend's birthday party is I we have found that Trader Joe's has the best gluten-free cupcakes. 
They taste great. They don't have that weird chalky aftertaste. The um, frosting is delicious. Whole Foods has a gluten-free cake where the texture is good, but the frosting tastes like glue. So like, it's like you always have one or the other. Like you never know what you're going to get. No, there's no such thing as, yes. Um, So I would say Trader Joe's brand gluten-free cupcakes are made in a dedicated facility. They're phenomenal. I really like those. And then for chocolate chips, I don't know if you guys know this, but most chocolate has malt or barley in it. So chocolate is not necessarily gluten-free. And then a lot of the gluten-free allergy-friendly chocolates are dark chocolate. So I love Enjoy Life mini, not the big chocolate chips, but the mini chocolate chips. Those are phenomenal. And then for ice cream, they have a, I love cookie dough ice cream and I can't eat it. Right. But they have a chocolate, so delicious has a, uh, I think it's coconut milk chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream that I love. It's, it doesn't compare to a Dairy Queen blizzard, but it's pretty darn good. Adrian, share with us what you found. You said a lot of things (laughs) and I can't, I can agree with some of them and I, I take a, a lot of slight with some. Okay. Uh, so Trader Joe's was never a really good option for us because they're not, a lot of them are cross-contaminated or not made in certain facilities. Right. And as you know, Lois has the eight allergies. So we're actually a little bit more strict about our desserts. So I have found no adequate replacements except for one pre-made one. But before I get on that, I want to, I want to rant on you for a moment here with your so delicious chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Now the cookie dough part of that ice cream is delightful. The little like chunks of cookie dough you get. Great. Love it. The ice cream part, not so much. Um, I can't have dairy. A hundred percent. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about because there are certain things you just can't replace them. You can find an adequate substitute, but the truth of the matter is it'll never be as good. And it's one of those really Ooh, I almost said a word there I shouldn't have said. It's one of those really bad things about, you know, having to live in celiac where you don't, you don't get the real thing. I say real in quotes because it's all real food if you're eating it, but you don't get the same experience. And there are a lot of people who always tell me this tastes just like real ice cream. And I don't say it to their face. The truth of the matter is it doesn't it just doesn't so it isn't sorry to interrupt coaching moment yes absolutely like sometimes there is no replacement and when you when you realize that and you just look at food as an experience and finding things that taste good on their own that's when a whole world opens up to you so in the beginning when you are still remember what the gluten-free, maybe even dairy-free foods taste like, and then you're tasting these replacements, you will be disappointed. That doesn't mean you're failing. That doesn't mean you have to like lose out on things, but it's a mindset shift where you have to look at it as an experience. And does this taste good on its own? I'm sitting here, obviously it's not a video podcast. I'm sitting here nodding because you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the so delicious ice cream, I will never have a bite of that and be like, mm, this is ice cream because it's not. But the truth of the matter is 
it's not intended to be for me. If I want ice cream, I can just kind of go to Cold Stone one day and have a little bit of ice cream and then just come home. I think it's not cool to bring it home with you and rub it in somebody else's face. That's, that's a super a-hole move. But I still get that luxury, right? But I could see when she eats it that she does, that for her, it's that luxury because it is the best that she'll get. And she, much like you, has been eating this way for 10 years where the remembrance of what real, I say in air quotes, ice cream is, isn't there. This to her is real ice cream. And does she enjoy it? Yes. So should I take away from that? Absolutely not. Like take a bite, tell her it tastes good, and then shut your mouth. Like that's what it is. You don't need to rub it in. I love it. All right. So your favorites. For mine, uh, there's this brand of brownies called Lucy's Brownies. And the reason I was so mad at you about your brownies is these are the exact opposite. These are only just the end pieces. So they bake them in what must be the tiniest baking sheet ever because you get four per container and it's one brownie that's been cut into four. So you get all four end pieces and it's a delightful experience. It's the right way to go. Yeah. Heat it up with some ice cream on top and you're fantastic. The other one, uh, and this is one of those things, like I said, I, all these things like you're talking about, the gluten-free donuts and the the replacement of this replacement of that it all tastes like chickpea powder and it just doesn't taste right for me so i've actually 100 percent just make make my sweets okay there are cookies you can easily make using bob's red mill with coconut oil like peanut butter cookies are super easy there are really easy sweets you can make that you don't have to find a replacement for. One of the, uh, one of my go-tos often when we wanted chocolate cake was I would make a Passover cake because Passover cake is made with potato starch and regular, instead of regular flour. So already I'm making the dessert in its intended fashion, like we talked about before. If you're eating gluten-free, dairy-free in the intended fashion that the recipes were created for instead of modified, I've always found a much better result. It's such an interesting perspective. And this is the difference between somebody who eats gluten and somebody who doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You might have to share some recipes. We can do that. Okay. All right. Bread. There's just no suitable replacement for bread no. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even eat gluten-free bread for years because I just didn't like it. It does that weird, hard, melty thing. It has that weird texture. I have found one brand that I like, and my dad completely disagrees with me on it. So again, this is like totally personal preference, but I like Canyon Bakehouse, the white, like it's like country white or something like that. And then I have to toast it. So it's not one that I can like make a sandwich and eat when I'm like camping or on a road trip or something, but at home, toast it, butter, avocado, smoked salmon, whatever, super good. And then I just don't even try to replace it. I like to like use like sweet potato cakes or things like that. If I'm going to do, if I want something that's like Kirby, um, because the texture and the flavor is just so much better. So you're you're right. Like I've never had a gluten-free bread that if I made a sandwich with it, 
halfway through the sandwich didn't disintegrate on me. Like there's something about either the mayonnaise touching it where it crumbled to ash or became like sticky in my hands. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other thing is, as you know, Lois has can't have yeast, which means yeast is part of risen bread. So it became a really big problem. There was one bread we could have. It's called Ezekiel. Um, but you have to buy it in the freezer section. It has to stay frozen, which means you have to toast it before you can use it. And even then, like, it, it just wasn't worth the hassle. Like you said, um, rice cakes, sweet potato cakes, like rice cakes with some peanut butter. Like for me, I would just throw some peanut butter and jelly on it. You know, she couldn't have nuts, so not for her. But at least it was a bread substitute I could have in the house. There's no, there's no. Did you ever try butter. sunflower seed butter? Yeah, she, she does go ham on that. Yeah. It's like kind of, was... I would say that's the most equivalent to peanut butter in flavor. It's not equivalent, but a lot of people like it better than almond or cashew or hazelnut or something like that. A hundred percent. Like, and that's one of those things If they made a Costco size of it, that would be God sends out. I'm to spend seven forty nine every week at the grocery store. <laughs> From that little tiny jar. jar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause that's, that is the bane of this type of food, right? Like sunflower is only so big. You need a lot of sunflowers to make that little jar, but these food alternatives, and it's also one of the reasons why I really started to find and make homemade ingredients is the cost. Yeah. Like just the sheer cost. Like you mentioned those freedom gluten-free donuts, you know, I think you're looking at like four or five for seven bucks. Like that is ridiculous. It's, it's um, I... eight, by the way. I do oh. know that. <laughs> okay. But so for me, I'm like, I just... I can't worry if I can like maybe find an adequate substitute and make it. And very fortunate. We're not really sweet people. We are definitely more salty people. So you know, on the hypocritical side, I'll be like, oof, $8 for mini donuts. That seems ridiculous. $25 for that steak. Appropriate. Like, so. It's all about priorities and preference. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move to wraps. So I typically use siete. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that theirs holds up the best, but in, they have several different flowers that they make them with. And I prefer the almond flower ones. I feel like they hold up better and I just like the flavor better than like the coconut or the cassava. And then I will just not even use any other ones. I'll just use collard or lettuce wraps or things like that for other things like sandwiches. Or like, if I want to do like chicken with pesto and bell peppers and like do like a wrap for like lunch, I'll just use lettuce or collard greens. And it's not equivalent to bread in any way, but even the siete, if you put anything wet in there, like a pesto or a mayo or something like that, it's going to disintegrate. If you like make it in the morning and take it to lunch, you have to basically make it and eat it. And not everybody has that luxury. In fact, I think I would argue most of us don't. Um, I will say Brielle likes the Mission brand spinach ones. I think they have a weird aftertaste, but for her, she likes the flavor. She doesn't like the white ones, but there's ones that are like kind of like green. They have spinach mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. them to like make them appear healthy or something. Um, it has a lot of food out, you know, preservatives and all of this stuff. But for her, she likes those the best. So, so. I don't disagree with her. I don't buy them often just because I don't think they're amazing. But if you're going to make like a buffalo chicken salad wrap, 
that I think is an okay option. Mm -hmm. Like you said, shelf stable. Uh, for me, the siete, the I don't even know, cassava flour, I think that's how mm -hmm. you say it. That was the one primarily in our house because nuts, no almonds. I don't want to rub this in, but the true blessing and the best substitutes for all wraps is the one you can't have, the corn tortilla. Yeah. Um, which is the greatest thing ever because you buy rice. I'm not sorry, not rice, what am I even talking about? <laughs> you buy <laughs> you buy the corn flour that's been treated with lime. So we call that masa. You add some water, you roll it, you press it, you cook it, bam, done. Like it's, you can buy them pre-made, you can make them, they hold up well, they reheat easy, they are a damn blessing. So like you said, when it comes to wraps, I would then make corn tortillas so we can make them nice and big so you can wrap in them and then I would actually just make alternatives like obviously a cheeseburger is not working because the bread doesn't hold up you know when it comes to a hamburger bun but if you were to make like the patty and then make it with some bacon in it a little avocado like you know a southwest flair as I like to say so often then that corn tortilla really actually complements it very well so that's that's more my speed um i would make flour tortillas at home sometimes use the bob's red mill the one-to-one -one, the mm -hmm. light blue bag because it's the same thing you use some flour some warm water some lard sorry that's just what goes to flour tortillas it's what it is nope i cook in lard i need to do an episode on healthy fats because lard is absolutely healthy word and like same thing you roll it out and done it's, it's one of those things where I think wraps, I don't consider them substitutes because a flour tortilla or a corn tortilla, they are made the same way, regardless of celiac or not. It's corn, lime, ground, ground up, boiled, dried. You throw in some water, you call it a corn tortilla, like godsend. Awesome. Thank you. And you definitely, um, I think the difference is like you are willing to make things yourself. And I know there's lots of people out there like that. As a coach, I found that most people are like deer in the headlights when they're first transitioning over and the thought of like making stuff themselves is some completely overwhelming. So I love that we have these two perspectives here. You know, the truth of the matter is like, I think I'm, I am severely blessed because you mentioned the two different, the deer in the headlights versus the people who are willing to cook. You know, I grew up in a house, you know, where my mom was a stay-at-home mom for the first several years of my life. We were raised dirt floor poor. So cooking is the only way we were going to eat. So mom did teach me how to make all these things, right? And I still know those recipes to, to now. Uh, she has since no longer lives that lifestyle. I don't think the last time she cooked with, I remember when she went from lard to butter to now, you know, extra virgin olive oil and you know she's lost all of her mexican heritage is my joke but i grew up in that so i learned to do that lois on the other hand is like you said she was that deer in your headlights like we're talking boiled chicken and broccoli because she didn't know any other way it was just food was just sustenance to get her through to the next time she ate there's no enjoyment out of it because the thought the effort the work was just too much 
like she's already stressed because of, you know, working full time and everything else in life to have to then figure out how to cook, which is something she was never, you know, taught to do growing up. It was a challenge. And quite frankly, she didn't like that challenge. So like, I, I get both sides of it because like, I know the difficulties that she had. If you don't know how to cook, one, you now have to learn how to cook and then take that knowledge of how to cook and now substitute the foods that you can eat and now learn how to make those substitutes taste like what you were taught to cook. Like, I'm very fortunate. I came into this 30 years ahead. Right. Yep, exactly. Um, When I, part of my story is that I grew up, my parents wanted me cooking with them and I did some, but I was really, really bad at cooking. And then when I started to want to be healthy, I didn't have food restrictions. So I was just trying all these different meals and all that stuff. So by the time I came into food restrictions, I knew how to cook. So substituting and playing around with recipes was really easy. I still wasn't the best cook where I could cook like three or four different things at the same time though. So, you know, and I realized that most people aren't going to have that skill. The ones that do are very blessed. Um, So when I develop my recipes that are on my website, I design it for people who don't know how to cook, don't like to cook, don't have time to cook. Very simple, easy to throw together, but flavorful and delicious. And, you know, these substitutes that we're talking about are more add-ins than they should be foundational. But in the beginning, when you're first transitioning, having a few brands to choose from that, you know, people say tastes good kind of helps because if you're just going to buy like the Walmart brand pasta and it tastes like crap, like you're going to be like, why this is not worth living. Like, I'm just going to, I'd rather suffer and enjoy my food (laughs) than, you know, heal and, and, you know, take the time to learn how to, or take the time to find the substitute. So that's why I wanted to do this episode. I'm going to, I'm going to tangent real fast. I'm sorry for waylaying and hijacking your podcast here, but that is something that, you know, people do. And I've seen it because, you know, like friends or whatever, like you said, they're allergic to, let's say gluten, but they're going to have a piece of pizza because dang it, that's what they want. There's no substitute for it. But then you are suffering for that week. You're suffering for so long and it, gets in and your skin's now irritated and this and your stomach or whatever your reaction is. And that's kind of why I I can't advocate enough. Yes. Substitutes are great. And when you're first coming into this, like finding the pasta that works for you just by jovial is fine. You know what I mean? But I also think there's a lot to be said of finding the foods that were intended to be gluten-free. They're not substitutes because I actually think you'll enjoy those meals a little bit more because that was their intent from go. So that way you're not feeling like you're substituting something. You're not substituting flavor for that chickpea experience. You're getting what's supposed to be there and like corn tortillas or like soba noodles. Like those are my perfect examples because that is their intended use from duration of them. I love it. Preach. All right, last but not least. And probably the most important pizza. Now your experience is a little bit different because not everybody who's gluten-free also is allergic to vinegar and yeast and dairy and soy and all of that. So, you know, I can't have dairy, but I will never claim that cheese replacements are a healthy or B tastes good. (laughs) 
(laughs) ever. But I will say that uh, if you can have dairy, these three are great ones that have been tried and true by um, gluten and gluten-free people in my life here in Arizona. And they absolutely love them. So the first one is we have a chain here called fired pie and they're extremely good about, um, accommodating gluten allergies. So it's, and it's like a pizza bar. There's all these different, um, you know, toppings and all these things. And they get out the ones underneath the counter and they like fresh gloves, you know, they wipe down everything. It's super great. We've never gotten sick. We eat there probably two, three times a year. And so they have a great gluten-free crust. Also another local one that my daughter loves. And again, I can't attest to this. I've never tried it, but Barrow's pizza, their gluten-free crust supposedly is phenomenal. And then one that you can buy frozen and keep in the freezer that has won over everybody in my life who has tried it. It's called against the grain and it's a grain free pizza, but they put cheese in the crust. And that texture, um, is really apparently very good. And again, I can't even taste test it because I don't want to be sick because of the dairy. Um, but those are the three that if you can't have dairy, but not gluten, those three are going to be phenomenal options to try and see which one you like best. Okay. Uh, for me, like, again, you know, no dairy as well. So never having it. But I've heard rave reviews in the Seattle area of a brand called Garlic Gyms. It's a restaurant here. They're gluten-free pizza. Everyone's like, this is, this is fantastic. Personally, the Bob's Red Mill gluten-free pizza crust. It, you just add water, you roll it out, and you bake it. And it is freaking awesome. It is one of those pizza doughs where I would be happy to buy it and use it for not for just anybody just because i think it tastes delicious i don't know what they did to it but they did a real good job and it is my favorite substitute for gluten-free anything because to me is the closest to being dead on accurate so same thing you buy it you make the pizza dough you roll it out it's delightful and then you just top it with whatever you want we would always do i would pretty much make like a the same thing I need to make for pasta primavera. I would roast some asparagus, broccoli, you know, everything that would go on pasta primavera. I'd roast it. Before it was done, I would drizzle like some olive oil or maybe make a pesto without nuts. It's a whole different discussion we can have. Put that on there, put the roasted veggies, finish baking it, and just happy. Can't complain. I love it. I actually have not tried that one because pizza is not that important to me. So I'm not going to like, make a dough no man so. but now i'm, I'm gonna, gonna have to try do it do it even if you just make the dough i would i would make the dough just the dough and i would cut it into pieces you could dip it into sauces later have like it, breadsticks like, have it like breadsticks i would do everything with that dough like uh to the point where i don't know if you knew this if you buy things from the case at whole foods they'll give you a discount so <laughs> i would buy this by the case well, there we go. Maybe we'll just figure out how to make that a substitute for everything. Yeah. And then we'll it. be good. I think Brielle would love to try some like garlic bread, like, you know, the sticks. So, yeah. you know, the summer might be the time for us to try that. So I'm learning something new. There you go. Like use the Bob's red dough a little, like make some garlic infused oil and let her go nuts. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us and for sharing your perspective. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And hopefully you guys who are listening have also found some things that you're like excited to try. I always want to make you excited to go forward and not feel so deprived. And uh, if you want to tag this on social media, let me know which one you tried and liked, because I think it's so important that you share your experience as well. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help others find it by leaving a review, sharing a screenshot on social media, or sharing the link with a friend? By you sharing what you've learned, others are able to find this podcast and join our community. Be sure to check out my website, www.roadtolivingwhole.com for over 160 delicious recipes, a variety of meal plans, and a blog packed full of even more healthy living tips. If you'd like to learn more about how to work with me as your coach, you can schedule a free consult through www.roadtolivingwhole.com backslash health-coaching backslash. Until next time, friend. Bye.